0: Welcome to Diverse, a Society of Women Engineers podcast. SWE gives women engineers a unique place and voice within the engineering community. On Diverse, we highlight incredible women in STEM and discover who they are at home, at work, and everywhere in between. You can find all of our episodes wherever you stream your favorite podcasts. Hello, I'm Karen Hording, the Executive Director and CEO of the Society of Women Engineers. Welcome to Diverse, a SWE podcast. I am so excited to welcome Miriam Brown to the podcast today. Miriam is the president of the Southern California Gas Company, also known as SoCal Gas. And she is one of the keynote speakers at our upcoming WE23 conference, which takes place in Los Angeles from October 26th through the 28th. Miriam, we're so happy to have you here to share your career story, as well as talk about the clean energy transition. And of course, we're hoping you'll give us a sneak peek of your WE 23 keynote. As I mentioned, when we were getting to know each other earlier, I'm so excited to hear about your work in Washington as well, because a big part of what SWE does is advocating in D.C. for issues that are important to women in STEM and STEM education. So, I'd love to get started by asking about the beginning of your career, sort of when it all began. You started as an engineer in the petroleum refining sector, then you went to law school, and then you worked over a decade on energy policy on Capitol Hill. Can you tell us a little bit more about those early years and what it was like to move from engineering to law and then to policy?
1: Karen, it's wonderful to be with you, and I'm really appreciative of the opportunity to engage and participate in this year's SWE event, and thank you for that question. So my career interest actually started with an interest in the law. I was very involved in my high school mock trial team, and so when I was approaching my college and graduate degrees at the encouragement of my dad, who was a mechanical engineer, I pursued an undergraduate degree in engineering because his thought was, and he had made a very compelling case, that you'll be an even more effective lawyer if you understand how it is that things work, and you're so good at math and science, so you should consider doing this as your undergraduate study. And so I did. I um, majored in mechanical engineering, and I took full advantage of the experience as an engineering student, including the opportunity to do Internships that one provide an important financial opportunity for for young college students, but also give them very practical experience in the real world. And my very first engineering internship was with the Amoco Texas City Refinery, which at the time was the largest refinery in the country, and that sparked my interest in the energy industry, and would end up being the guiding light, so to speak, for um, my entire career. I found myself fascinated by the science of energy and the technology of it and the economics of it and the politics of it. So as I continued to progress in my career, be it in law or be it in policy, the energy industry and the many aspects of it really was what helped me to to set a direction that even though I have, as you noted, very distinct and separate steps that have built up my career, They build on each other in a way that's really, I I think, prepared me for the career that I have
0: now. And so I love the advice your dad gave you, because I often share that with young women when they say they're interested in law or medicine or business. I say, get that engineering degree first, because that will give you such a fantastic foundation to work in just about any industry. And it sounds like that was true for you as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that um I think engineers make incredible problem solvers. And I think in the real world, that's that's what the world is looking for is problem solvers. I think um a lot of times I get asked, well, which one was more difficult, your law degree or your engineering degree? And I think absolutely your engineering degree, my engineering degree in this way. You know, in engineering, you can you can go to every class and do every homework and go to every office hour and otherwise. But when you get to that exam, it could very well be the case that 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 question that gets posed to you by your um, professor, you don't have uh, a view on the answer right off the cuff. And what it does is it challenges you to really think about, well, what is it that I do know, and what problem am I trying to solve, and then from there get to get to what the answer is, and that's just that's just perfect training for real world, real world professionals and solving the big problems and challenges that we have in all kinds of spaces, whether it's in the medical field, as you mentioned, or if it's in the energy field that I'm in at this time, and so I, I just think it's a it's a fabulous way to teach. People, how to think. Young people, how to think, and um, and grow in their career.
0: Yeah, critical thinking skills so important in solving the grand challenges we have right now. Right. Um, so I, I think that's a great transition to my next question, which is: You've obviously had a lot of diverse career experiences. How has that influenced your leadership style and your perspective as a leader?
1: I think um, it has taught me to be a good listener (laughs) and to really uh, take in different perspectives as you navigate a path forward with wide ranging stakeholders and different points of view, different points of view from a technical perspective about how things need to work, different points of view from an environmental perspective about how things need to perform, different points of view with respect to economic implications, including jobs. And different perspectives, as it relates to as 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 it relates to society and advancing the society that we all want to live in and be a part of, and quality of life that comes from that. And so, I just the the different aspects of my career have allowed me to be able to, in wearing those different hats, really be able to appreciate the value of diverse perspectives. And what that brings, really, what that brings to getting good outcomes that everybody can be proud of and accomplish the goals that we have.
0: Yeah, I just want to probe on that a little bit, because I think listening and listening to perspectives different than our own has become much more challenging. And so how do you help others on your team grapple with that and really open up to listening to those different perspectives for those nuggets that might be there?
1: You know, how I help my team, I really appreciate that question, Karen, how I help my team is really to emphasize that perspective. Sometimes we have a saying here that we say, get out of your own movie, right? You know, it's it's not always just about your perspective and to really listen to what the other, what the other stakeholder, what it is that they're advocating for, but then go a layer deeper. Why are they asking for that? What drives that interest? Because I think a lot of times when you're trying to navigate different points of view, people quickly go to almost a two-dimensional kind of view of, well, they say this and I say that, and how do we possibly bridge the gap? But what we do here and what I encourage my team to do is to really do the deep thinking and even the conversation and dialogue with these different stakeholders to understand what's driving that view and that position. Because I might not be able to do it the way it is that you're suggesting that it should be done. But if I put on my engineering hat or any other one of the other hats that I've worn in my life, maybe I can find a solution that does accomplish what you're trying to accomplish, but in a different way. But the only way that you're ever able to do that is if you take the time to understand what it is that the perspective is and why that perspective is there. And another piece of that that's so important in really getting to the heart of those kinds of questions is building trust, relationship, trust with these different stakeholders and and people so that you can have those conversations and, and get to the outcomes that we all want to get to. And um, that's my take on that.
0: I, I love that, that listening, but then drilling deeper to, to get a better understanding. I have to say, I think you should be lecturing at the UN <laughs> because I think they could, could use it in, in solving some of the, the challenges out there.
1: You're very kind. You're very oh. kind. I think I'm I'm most excited about this sweet engagement. Let's start there.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about the industry you're in, which is the energy industry, which, you know, I think we all know is rapidly evolving and we're, you know, growing focus on clean energy and sustainability. So for your particular industry, what role do you see natural gas playing in the transition?
1: That's a great question. I would say that in general, the energy industry has been in state of evolution for many decades, becoming increasingly, having a priority on becoming increasingly secure and increasingly clean. And as we look at solving those twin goals of energy security and the clean energy transition, we think that it is going to require a combination of increasingly cleaner electrons. So those are electrons generated for example, from solar and wind, but there are other ways of of generating clean electrons, but also increasingly cleaner fuels. I think that traditional natural gas is a clean fuel, and you've seen incredible progress made in our environment as we've transitioned to uh, traditional natural gas. But what we see on the horizon is a demand for even more clean fuels. And sometimes the way we talk about it here at SoCal Gas and in the Semper family of companies is the need for clean molecules and clean electrons. And for the engineers in your audience, I would say that there is an inherent resiliency to the molecule that makes it essential to our energy future, the resiliency of a molecule that it has in the energy system. And I think that also... The integrity that we transport those molecules has an inherent resiliency. So at SoCal Gas, as we look into the future, we see ourselves leveraging our existing infrastructure, our pipeline infrastructure to transport cleaner and cleaner fuels. And over time, that is going to include fuels like renewable natural gas and hydrogen, but also traditional natural gas we see as as part of the mix as we move into the long-term future.
0: Well, and you've set some pretty aggressive goals there in terms of achieving net zero greenhouse gas emissions, I believe, by 2045. So could you elaborate on this a little bit and maybe some of the initiatives that you're working on to support that?
1: Yes, for sure. It's something that we're very proud of here at SoCal Gas. So just a little background on SoCal Gas, the company that I'm president of. We're the largest gas utility in the Western Hemisphere. We serve approximately 21 million consumers from the middle of the state, around the area of Fresno, if people are familiar with California, all the way down to the border at San Diego. And so when we set our Aspire 2045 ambition to be net zero across all three scopes, so not just the energy that we use in our system, but also all the way to the burner tip of our our customers, we were the largest gas utility and essentially the first gas utility to set an ambition and a name like that. And um, to accomplish that, we put ourselves through a significant amount of rigor to really help inform ourselves how we were going to accomplish a goal like this. And part of that was a lot of academic analysis. And part of that was a lot of our expertise over decades of work that the company has done. And what all of that has pointed us to, and we have a great deal of alignment here in the state, is that we need increased investment in clean fuels like renewable natural gas, like hydrogen, and in carbon capture and sequestration. And we also need to work very closely with our policymakers, all of us do in the energy industry, if we're going to accomplish these goals. Some of the initiatives that I'm, one of the initiatives that I'm particularly proud of here at SoCal Gas is a pipeline infrastructure proposal that's called Angeles Link. And Angelus Link is SoCal Gas's proposal to build the largest green hydrogen pipeline infrastructure system in the country, sourcing hydrogen from solar energy, from the desert areas in the state where the solar incidence is very high and bringing that green hydrogen into the industrial center of Los Angeles in the LA basin. A lot of people don't know this, but LA is actually, the Los Angeles is actually the largest manufacturing center in the country. And so there's an incredible amount of industrial activity and heavy-duty trucking that needs to continue for the economy in California to thrive. We're the fifth largest economy in the world, but over time needs to be increasingly cleaner so that we can meet our environmental goals that we here in the state.
0: Wow, that's pretty exciting and aggressive. What tips would you have for engineers who are also working toward this same kind of goal around zero emissions and, you know, cleaner, whether it's cleaner energy, cleaner manufacturing, whatever, whatever particular area they might be working in?
1: You know, I think I take it back, Karen, to the beginning of our conversation, how very important it is to collaborate broadly within the industry. I I think that one of the things that strikes me and gives me a lot of hope about the likelihood of success on these ambitious energy goals that all of us have, not just at SoCal Gas, but in the state of California, in the United States of America, and across the globe. What gives me confidence is that for the first time really ever in the energy industry, you see this broad cross-sector collaboration that didn't used to exist decades ago. Decades ago, the upstream industry didn't really collaborate with the downstream industry and the electricity industry didn't really collaborate with the midstream sector. But now what you see at all of these different conferences and engagement is everybody's in the room and talking about accomplishing the same goals. And so I think I would grab onto that opportunity to collaborate across the industry. And also, it's broader than our own industry. At the end of the day, our industry is serving end users and stakeholders. And so, we need to really understand what those stakeholder needs are and understand it at the level that we were talking about before, not just what is their goal, but what drives that goal, and incorporate that into solutions. And there's no... no feel better than engineers and STEM leaders to be able to find those solutions that are going to be able to meet those goals.
0: Well, and I think women tend to be really good at collaboration. So this sounds like an exciting time for women to be involved in the energy industry.
1: Exactly. I think this is one of the greatest opportunities ever for women in the energy industry. Women's presence in the energy industry has been growing over time. It's been something that that has been a great joy to see as I see more women present, particularly young engineers. I always take a make a point to uh, particularly engage with our interns as, as we have the young women coming into, into our industry and into our field to talk about the issues that that they see and and talk about the opportunity. And, and I do think it's very much in our nature to collaborate, work in teams, identify problems, worry less about taking credit, more, more worry more about getting the job done. And so there's definitely, the world is our oyster for women in the energy industry. And I think broadly in the technical fields.
0: Yeah, that is great to hear. Well, one of the things uh, that our our members and our listeners love to hear is career advice from accomplished women in the profession. So I'm going to shift over to that a little bit and maybe ask you what's been the most unexpected lesson you've learned in your career?
1: You know, to think of what the most unexpected lesson, I've had so many lessons to to think um, what I didn't expect. But what I would say is that when I, was earlier in my career, I never in a million years expected for there to be any political or policy side to my career. And when I went to Washington, after I had completed my engineering degree and worked in that professionally, and after I completed my law degree, and I was working in that professionally, I practiced in private practice for five years. When I went to Washington, I had never been involved in politics at all. I had never stuffed an envelope. I had never engaged in a campaign. Yes, I voted, but that was about it, right? And, um, and it was a surprise to me that politics and policy would be a part of my career. It was a surprise to me that I would like it. It was a surprise to me that I would be pretty good at it. I definitely excelled in that space for the period when I was working in government service. And so advice that I would give to the young women in SWE is really to allow yourself to try new things and really test what might be in your interest. It would be very rare for someone young in their career to know everything that they're good at and what it is that they may like. And so let yourself test and see what might intrigue you and you might
0: surprise yourself. Yeah, I always say, take a risk and you can do anything for a year. Right. It goes by so quickly and you'll learn something from it. And in your case, maybe you'll find something you love and you're good at that you didn't expect, or you'll learn what you don't want to do and you'll move on to the next thing to take that first step and give it a try.
1: Exactly. I sometimes say, be comfortable being uncomfortable especially at the early stage in your career and in the early stage of any new job, that that's normal and good and thrive in it.
0: Yep. I totally agree. Um, so you've, you've got professional achievements. And I think like most of our listeners, you're balancing you know a high profile career with a personal life. And they're wondering, how in the world are you doing that? Well,
1: <laughs> you'll have to ask my children. <laughs> Um, so uh, my, my personal life is very important to me. And and sometimes they blend together in a really important way. But yes, I, I love the work that I do. But I'm also um, a, a wife and a mother of two sons. They are 11 and 8. And they are such an incredible source of joy for me. And when we talk about work-life balance, a few things immediately come to my mind. One thing is the importance of making sure that you are doing things that are good choices for yourself, as far as healthy choices, you know, lifestyle, eating, working out, all those sorts of things, how very important they are. In the work-life balance of things, I find that I do my best when I don't hold myself to a perfection standard. And I just look to do the very best I can in whatever it is that I'm dedicating my time to. So sometimes, a lot of times, that's a work initiative that I'm working on, like Angelus Link. That initiative of that hydrogen pipeline has essentially been a labor of love for me and many within this SoCal gas organization. But then I, I put that same level of energy and vigor when I'm organizing my son's, um, the, the carpool to my son's track meet, right? That when I'm there, I'm all there. And so um, I just think it, it requires, I think it's that you, you put your best self forward in all the aspects that you've decided to prioritize and put yourself forward and don't hold yourself to some extreme perfection standard. And I think that things come from that.
0: Yeah. We don't have to be superwoman. Nope. Um, We don't have to be perfect. And it's okay to quiet that voice in your head. And as you said, just be focused in what you're doing in the moment and do the best that you can. And if it wasn't perfect, well, at the end of the day, that's okay. Right. Exactly. Um, What advice would you give to women who are aspiring to leadership roles in STEM fields? I
1: think we touched on one aspect of it, which is just what a great time it is for women in STEM fields. And then if I was giving broader, more specific advice, one would be one that, that I think that they'll hear consistently from other women and from just other professional leaders, which is just the importance of grit and hard work. And what a difference that makes in you accomplishing your goals in your in your professional in your professional life. You know, I wear a a, a ring um, with a little turtle on it, <laughs> and the reason I wear it is um, because I, I, a lot of times I have a saying that the turtle always wins, and it's just the idea of steady, consistent, hard work consistently wins the day. And I think that that's one piece of advice that I would give anybody that's looking to be in a leadership role in STEM is that it's that it's that steady, consistent, hard work every day that grit that is going to get you to where it is that your goals are. But then the second piece of advice that I would give, and this is one that takes time to have a vantage and perspective on it especially for the ones that are younger in their career um, asking that question, like what does it take to get to a leadership role in STEM? And that is really to appreciate when you are young in your career that you are the richest you will ever be in your life. And when I say the richest, I don't mean monetary as in dollars and cents. I mean the energy that you have when you are young to be able to do and think and try and test and, you know, it's an incredible asset. And what I'd encourage the the women within SWE and um, those that, that um, listen to this podcast, it would be to take advantage of that time, invest that time, invest that in developing yourself and your experiences, and it pays off in the end, it pays off in the end.
0: Yeah, I agree. I did my MBA while I was working full time early in my career and it was the best thing I ever did. I look back now and I think, how did I do that? And then I say, oh, yeah, I was young. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> right. Sometimes I I I tell people I can't I hold my own and and I work really hard, but I can't do what my 22 year old niece can do. I just can't. You know, and it's just because of that energy and that vigor. And so invest that in your development and you'll only get good things from it later.
0: Yeah. And I, when you talk about investing yourself, I, I have a question around investing to network and sort of build that group of, say, your own personal board of directors. Yeah. Do you, do you have a network that you've built over time and, and maybe how have you leveraged that?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think that one of the keys to my career that has made it both enjoyable and successful has been an incredible network of mentors at every stage of my career. And that is as an engineer, as a lawyer in the public policy space, and now. And my mentors have been a cross-section of ages, of gender, of perspective, and I just want to encourage people that the value of mentorship to help you to navigate your career, work through difficult issues, whether it's an actual work problem or a career decision, just the value of that. And I think one thing that people young and the, younger in their career should appreciate, I hope they do, because sometimes I think that there's almost a... A coyness about taking advantage of mentorship, almost like I don't have anything to give back. So so why would that person invest in me? And what I would say back to that is that a lot of people took time to invest in me. And I am so appreciative of that. And one of the best ways that I tell them thank you is to pay it forward and invest in the next generation. So embrace the opportunity to have those mentors and let them spend time to share with you a perspective. It will enrich you and your own thinking. And and you are giving them something back by letting them them say thank you to those who helped them.
0: Perfect, thank you for that. Well, I have to say, I'm even more excited now about your keynote at week 23 that we've had this chance to talk. Any snippets you can share about what you'll be talking about in LA? You
1: know, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really focus on the important role that women have played in technology advancement, how much we have an opportunity for women to leverage that progress um, to even greater heights as we move forward. And so I'm, very, I'm really excited to, to speaking with the group and having that conversation.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing your insights on the podcast today. As I said, we are really looking forward to seeing you at WE23 in October. Uh, For anyone listening who wants to see Miriam speak at WE23, we would love to see you there or live streaming with us. You can visit we23.swe.org to get all the registration details. And just as a reminder, WE23 is the world's largest conference for women in engineering and technology with more than 16,000 women in engineering in attendance. In addition to the keynote talks, We will have a huge career fair where you could meet your next employer and even interview on site. There are hundreds of sessions, workshops, networking opportunities, and it's all happening October 26th through 28th in Los Angeles. I hope to see you there. And from all of us at SWE, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Diverse. Please don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and share this episode with your social network. You can visit swe.org to learn more about how the Society of Women Engineers empowers women to achieve their full potential as engineers and leaders.